Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by today's co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of organizations like LL Research, Circle R, and others. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan Masterson's podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Nithin and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. And Nithin, long time. How's it going, man? Not bad, not bad. You know, ebb and flow of uh, life. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty great. Uh, been enjoying uh, the, the, the new forum that we set up uh for the working group and and others to talk about the law of one and all sorts of other things and we're already digging into stuff it's really cool to see people uh coming up with their own projects and their own tacks that they want to take on this philosophy some of us are working on putting together study groups others there's even like a project where people are talking about using ai to uh basically basically using ai and machine learning to ingest all of the raw contact material and then see if you can get a AI chat bot to act like raw, which is really, really bizarre. Um, but, uh, kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting thing. We got to be careful. They're already saying that, uh, some AI chat bots are, are sentient. So, you know, I'm sure raw saw this probability vorte- vortices and, uh, we'll have an interesting outcome if we actually follow through, if someone follows through with that project. Yeah, yeah. Just as long as they uh, don't lock the doors to the room and say, no, you can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, things are going well. I mean, I'm probably going to go on a hike after this with my wife and my dogs and just been just been enjoying life, man. It's summer. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into our topic for the day. The. Uh, Huo session that we're going to look at is from October 11th, 2008. And the the way that I'm thinking about the overall theme here is that it's about digesting catalyst. Uh, As Nithin uh, pointed out uh, before we started recording, it's like, haven't we talked about catalyst quite a bit on this podcast? And that's true. We have Uh, more on more than one occasion. Catalyst has been the subject, but it's also kind of the whole reason that we're here. So it kind of makes sense. It's like, it's like, uh, why do you keep talking about the law of one man? Like, haven't we talked about that on the podcast? <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I know it's repetitive. Huo is repetitive. The Confederation is repetitive. But I hope that we can find some nuances about dealing with Catalyst, uh, how to ground it and work with it that will, that will be helpful to the listener. Uh, and I thought that this, this one had some juicy bits that frame things in a way I hadn't heard of it before. Um. Any it's thoughts? It's an important topic. It, 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 yeah. It's so important. Exactly. Exactly. We can't really talk about it enough. And you know, there's always the unsubscribe button. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we jump right in? So here's the question uh, that was read at the beginning. In the body complex, we have a process whereby we ingest a variety of foodstuffs for the survival and growth of our body. 
Our body, however, does not use the majority of the food we give it. Instead, it separates the nutrients and other helpful materials from the food, absorbs those materials, and eliminates the rest. In the mind complex, we have a process whereby we are constantly bombarded with catalysts from within and without. Analogous to the body, our mind must take only the nutritious portions of our catalyst in order to furnish ourselves with the distilled experience for the purpose of spiritual evolution. Can you discuss how our minds distill our experience with special focus on how we eliminate that which is not helpful for our growth? I hope that the listener can hear in that some real specific questions about dealing with catalysts. It's not just about catalysts as a as an overall phenomenon. This is about uh, treating it almost as we treat our diet. And there are there are aspects to catalysts. It sounds like uh, Jim, who who read this question, it it sounds like they're implying that. Oh, I don't think it was Jim, but it doesn't matter who read it. They're they're implying that what we experience as catalyst uh, is not pure catalyst. Some of it is just waste product, right? Some of it is just the fiber in the diet. And others of it are the vitamins and nutrients that we're looking for. Was that kind of the sense of how you interpreted the question, Nathan? Yeah, I think that there is a distilling process that that uh, is there to be utilized, obviously. <laughs> you know, it, Food, the process is relatively automatic if you have a relatively healthy body. But for catalyst, I I think it's a little bit more intentional. Uh, but there's abs- there there is definitely a process where you you take the nutrients and um, realize some stuff is not necessarily directly related to what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that distillation, uh, I, I I often hear it uh, talked about as grounding in the deep mind. Right, we're trying to take the lessons from the proximate events um, that convey the lessons. They're not going to like spell it out all the time clearly for us what the lesson is. And so I find that like perhaps what the what what they're talking about in the distillation is the separation of the philosophical spiritual content from the thing that conveys the content to us the 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 you know the fight that we have or uh the encounter that disturbs us or whatever the the catalyst is absolutely i I think for me when i was thinking about uh, you know the nutrients versus um the fiber uh two two types of categories of this example um as it as it applies to catalysts popped up the main, I think, the main example, the reason this analogy is used is that there's that dichotomy between the surface level trigger, what, we, what initially we think is the issue, and it's usually some external thing, versus what's truly going on inside of us that triggered the response. And it, it's often, I, I mean, even even for me, right, we, for whatever reason, maybe because we're still programmed at a level, uh, we often think, oh, th- the problem is this, and you're pointing to something outside of yourself. And then when you actually take a time to, to, to reflect, to digest it, which we'll talk about, you realize, no, it was, it was some belief, perspective, expectation, fear, insecurity within me. Um, but there is a second category that I, I think is um, less common of this, of the, of where you have fiber and you have nutrients. And, um, and for me, that's that some things are, there are certain aspects to catalyst that is um, a bit random. And also, uh, you know, I put this in my notes here, that there's also a certain aspect of catalyst where depending on your choices, 
you can engage and become a part of someone else's catalyst, like taking it upon yourself. And you actually see this uh, more overtly and specifically referred to in a lot of like Indian um, spiritual systems where the guru is said to take the karma mm. of their followers. You can, you can, so, and I've noticed you can actually, and I think this happens perhaps also in, um, you know, long-term relationships, serious relationships where you can totally notice that you're actually taking on your, you know, significant other's catalyst, but it's not really your own direct catalyst. And, you know, I'm not saying that there can't be learning through that, but it's a different sort of, I think, learning than when you're, it's your own catalyst. Yeah, it, it, it tends to imply in my mind that there are, we, we talk about a lesson, but that lesson only makes sense with respect to a given subject. And with another subject, another entity, that that lesson might mean something different. It might seat itself in the consciousness or in the uh, experience or in the spiritual evolutionary path in a different way. And that's okay. Um, that's perfectly okay. In fact, uh, when you were talking about taking on someone else's catalyst, I mean, one of the reasons one might find that useful is to set an example. Another reason would be uh, to share whatever suffering they're going through in order to give them a sense that they're not alone. There's many different reasons you would do it, and it means that the catalyst would be a slightly different catalyst for the person taking it on than the person directly experiencing it, right? Absolutely. It would, it would change its nature just by virtue of that it's not, it's not as direct. Yeah. And, it, and, and like in order for it to be uh, properly assumed by the second person, it would have to be very willing. It has to be very voluntary, right? Because like, otherwise, if it feels like it's happening to you and you're not assuming it, well, that's just, cat, that's just normal catalyst, man, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you uh, if you're not doing it in a willing fashion, it's gonna appear as a different sort of catalyst as opposed to when you're doing it in a willing fashion. Yeah, like I was uh, I was just talking with a friend who's going through a real tough experience in his life uh, yesterday, and we were, you know, on our second pitcher of beer, and he's he's kind of not really able. He wants to get past all the stuff that's going on, but he just can't. And like, I don't have the experience that he does. I didn't see any ability for me to take on the catalyst that he's dealing with. But I think by putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, that's one way that those of Ra have said that it's possible to determine uh, what service would be useful, right? Like what we think is useful for somebody else from where we're standing, not so important. We have to stand in their shoes, try to put ourselves in their mindset and then find out. And like in that case, like, instead of taking on the catalyst like as your own problem, you can just simply open yourself up to the catalyst that they're dealing with and try to feel it as fully as you can without uh, wanting to run away. You know, like sometimes when someone has such a awful things happen in their life, like the thing that I'm thinking is, well, thank God I'm not like that. And I don't even want to feel close to like that. I just want to get away from it. And so I think being a friend means recognizing that, you can't directly help somebody with the things that they're going through. You can't work their catalyst out for them. You can only show them a different point of view so many times, right? But you can be there with them. You can be willing to feel along with them. And that's that's more helpful, I think, than a lot of things we try to do. Absolutely. And, and I love how 
you went to the idealized version of, of sharing catalysts immediately. Whereas I, I was thinking, I always think of like the, the non-ideal versions, right? Uh, <laughs> and I mentioned this in, in past podcasts. Uh, let's say the drug addict who doesn't want to um, go deeper and, uh, you know, distill the fiber from the nutrients and they're projecting their issues onto other things. Like if I'm drinking, it's because of this, this, and this, and you can help me out with these external things. Right. And you're like, and then they're, and they're asking you or really pressuring you to do something. And you're like, well, they're going through a lot of pain, even though this is not the real issue. You know, a part of you wants to be compassionate and helps out and help out, and that's fine. But then a part of you might just feel like, you know, you're being pressured so much. You, yeah. even though you don't really want to be compassionate in the way that they're asking, you just, you just, you go ahead and kind of maybe enable them to avoid the, their own lessons. You, uh, I see this a lot in that people who, uh, who don't want to accept responsibility for their own catalyst will often project whatever trouble that they're going through onto other people as you're causing the problem and the, and other people, and they'll ask certain things of other people. I see this in the workplace a lot, right? Um, the boss doesn't want to accept whatever is going on and they project it and they, it's because the employees are doing something and they ask, they make bigger asks than the employee. Right. And so then the employee is like, I don't necessarily agree, but I'm going to do it. Right. Um, yeah. and, it, and it, and it creates this chain of catalysts where every single step of the catalyst is 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 different than the one before. So um and in and I actually put this in my notes in that sometimes in that sort of um aspect it's setting boundaries can be very very important. Yeah, I agree. So let's uh go ahead and jump into the part where uh Kuo starts, you know, they they do their whole disclaimer and greeting and telling telling us how much they love us and that's great. But let's move past that and go directly into the message. So this is Kuo Comparing the acquisition of incoming experience to the acquisition of foodstuffs is very apt, my brother. There is indeed food that is for the physical body, and there is food that is nutriment for the body that is your energetic body. And indeed, just as a person who is thoughtful and wishes to maximize his nutrition will make choices that he has come to feel are wise in what he does and does not eat and drink, just so is there a substantial amount that an entity can do as he meets the waves of experience that flood his senses and his emotions day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Firstly, one may consider the moment of realization of some new catalyst. Suddenly, you are asked to take a big bite of something new, a new thought, an exchange between yourself and another, or a conversation with yourself that has led you in a new direction. Whatever it is, suddenly you are chewing over a new idea, a new emotion, a new impulse, or a new thought. The phrase chewing over is one we used on purpose because there is a way to consider that which is incoming. Just as you chew your food until the saliva in your mouth has entered into the breaking down of the foodstuff, thus promoting digestion, so too as you receive something that triggers your emotions and you find yourself tempted towards an impulsive reaction, it is a skillful thing, spiritually speaking, to refrain from immediate and impulsive response, but rather chew the trigger over in your mind. All right, let's let's uh, interject there. Any thoughts from you, Nithin? I mean, it's it's very apt. Uh, one one thing that that comes to mind is uh, how useful it is to observe yourself if you can when you're experiencing the trigger. That being said, you know, and we'll t- I'm sure we'll talk about this. Um, in some cases, whatever your initial response. Your, your initial impulsive response is um, 
oftentimes, whether you engage in that response or not, is not as directly re- relevant to actually learning as to whether you learn the lesson. The key aspect is, do you revisit that at some later point, even after the impulsive response and take personal emotional responsibility? I love, I use that phrase a lot where you're like, it ultimately was not the external trigger that caused my emotions. It was something within me. Um, uh, but observing yourself. So there's, there's multiple layers of observing yourself, at least in the situations I often find myself in one you could be in a uh, work situation, you know, as you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, where <laughs> you're in court, it's expected you respond. You can't just like, oh, let me just be quiet and not say anything, yeah. <laughs> even though they really upset me for like, you know, a minute. You got to respond. You have to, you have to, it's just, it's, I mean, you could get into whether it, you have to respond, but it, I guess I'm not at that stage where I want to put my job in jeopardy. So yeah. <laughs> I respond, right? But then the second aspect is putting aside work situations, you can be in a social situation where if you don't respond, it'll be interpreted as some sort of like uh, admission, right? They actually have this concept in, in the law of adoptive admission. If you don't respond to something that's crazy and outrageous and outlandish, you're basically agreeing, your silence is agreeing it's true. And that actually can be used as an admission against you in court under certain circumstances. So socially... That I find that's often true. If you don't respond, sometimes people take it to mean that it's true. And then third, at least with some people, they'll actually egg you on if you don't respond, saying, oh, cat got your tongue if you're in a really, like, vitriolic <laughs> exchange. So uh, I guess what, I've said, what, I, what I'm trying to say is I've definitely paused. I found great value in pausing and when I can and actually just observing my own reactions. But I have to say that, you know, I've been trying to put that specific... Uh, thing into practice for a few years now and um it's hit or miss because of those aforementioned situations where i feel like i need to respond you know but it's it is very useful well the the thing one of the things that sticks out in my mind over and over about this session is their use of the word skillful they often talk about skills this is something that buddhists often talk about too like when when, when skill is brought into play, it's less about rules that you're supposed to follow or the, 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 uh, the concrete dynamics of the situation you're in. And it's more about like something that you learn that you can apply almost like a heuristic or, um, some, some kind of technique, right? Remember, uh, uh, we don't begin and end in technique, but in the creator, as Ross says, right? But it doesn't mean that there aren't techniques that you can use to kind of help yourself work through these things as you would use, I don't know, like crutches to help yourself heal, but still stay mobile from a, from a leg or foot injury. The idea that you don't, I mean, we need to both recognize, I think, that it is rather novel to many people that you wouldn't immediately respond. Or you wouldn't re- immediately react to that squeezing that that what catalyst does to you that make that that, that impacts your emotional body, right? You like uh, like those of Kuo say, you take in this new thought, this new experience, and you have a reaction. That is part of what it means to be an entity to have that reaction, and the skill comes from getting so used to experiencing new things that it doesn't phase you. Um, this is something we talked about, uh, last, uh, episode where I think Kuo said something or Hatan said something like, you know, when your heart's open, you're ready for anything, which is great because anything often happens to the creation, right? Like 
Right. It doesn't, it, it is, it is a way that you work with your own equipment, your own emotional, spiritual, physical, mental equipment. And, uh, it's just, it, it, it means that it's not wrong to have the emotional reaction that you immediately have. It's simply a skillful way of dealing with it. Just like it's not wrong to, uh, to be startled when someone scares you. It's just about a skillful way of dealing with that in a social situation so that you don't create a worse situation than already exists. I, maybe that's a bad analogy. No, so I, I think you bring up some great points. Uh, and let me just um, preface my comment with, I think there's two areas that you bring up that are really, really important to go into. One, the, the use of the word skillful. But the other area you bring up is the idea that it's, it's a fairly novel concept to kind of uh, not react, in, or you said basically it's a fairly novel concept to um, kind of observe your emotional reaction in the moment, right? So l- let me start with that. Um, when I kind of started working in this area of um, observing catalysts in the moment, I felt like there was really, to me, three ways of handling catalysts in the moment. And I think two of them uh, are more commonly used in society and not as effective as what we're talking about, just observing. And when, when we say observing, we'll talk, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't say anything, but it's, it's, it's kind of your relationship to what's going on, right? You can say some stuff, but you're not going to be <laughs> as engaged, um, you know, and feel personally attacked, right? It's, it's a different way of interacting. You, but you can just not... I just want people to understand that observation is more like a mindset. It doesn't necessarily mean you don't say shit, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So... But specifically, when we're talking about uh, um, observing what's going on, I feel like there's two other ways to handle this, or two other ways that are traditionally used to handle these situations. One is what you said, just most people react without necessarily observing, um, without necessarily, if you haven't been exposed to, I guess, um, engaging with things that bother you at a deeper level, you probably just react, right, in the Mm -hmm. moment and just handle the situation, whatever the external trigger was. We've talked about observing and that, you know, in um, observing your own re, uh, emotions while you're doing what you're doing, where, while the situation's happening. But I think there's an intermediate version that is not useful that people often use when they start the spiritual path, and I think even when they do some self-improvement. And that is an over-focus on suppressing the reaction. Yeah. They're like, oh, I need to not react. That's how I master the situation, just not react. But they'll let themselves get super angry, and they won't actually address the inner emotional turmoil and actually when that happens i think you actually make for much worse situations in the long run you hurt yourself emotionally uh you keep that anger bottled up it's very unhealthy and when that trigger arises again you might be able to suppress your reaction but if you haven't addressed the anger the anger keeps building and eventually and i see this all the time in so many situations right people with poor impulse control come into criminal court where that trigger it's it's some small trigger but it's it was a trigger that they've been exposed to repeatedly and they kept suppressing their reaction and not dealing with the emotions, the beliefs behind it. And it just finally blows up and they go crazy over something relatively small because they haven't dealt with it in the appropriate fashion. They dealt with it through suppression. So I would summarize it in that when I, when I read this, it's just one way is just um, reacting normally and not thinking in, or going deep in, into what happened. A second way is an over-focus on suppressing the reaction, which... which while still not going deep into what happened. And the third is kind of going deep into what happened um, and really just being in that observant, uh, observing mindset. 
Totally agree. Uh, the I, I was simply pointing out that I don't think it's occurred to a lot of people to have that observer mindset in the first place. The, the most natural way to experience emotions and to react to them is immediately, viscerally, without a lot of self-consciousness. And, I, and you know, let's not – let's all be clear. We all have reacted to things without Absolutely. self-consciousness, and we've all learned from that. So it's not that it's bad to do that. That's why I think the word skillful is so useful because it talks about this is not – this is about a choice that you make on how to have the same experience – but just approach it in a different way. That's all. You are still like, like I appreciate what you say that like sometimes having the reaction in the moment is the right thing to do. Sometimes uh, suppressing it leads to long-term problems. Um, to me, it occurred that part of the skill in addressing things in the moment is to take it into the heart when you're out of the moment. If you don't do that, then you are just suppressing things. You have Absolutely. to revisit this stuff in order for it to be processed and, and actually digested. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's I think that's part of the skill. It's not just about coming off the best that you can in the moment. It's about giving yourself an opportunity to face the thing that maybe you couldn't completely react to in the moment. You do yeah, need it, to react to it. Yeah, maybe if the uh if the analogy is basically the initial onslaught of the of the catalyst, so to speak, is putting the food in your mouth. Then the question is, are you going to chew it or are you just going to swallow it? And right. Like, you know, and it's important to, I mean, uh, Raw talks about this. Um, it's something that I've used for, you know, the past five, ten years is on a daily level, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's separate, but, but very close to when I meditate. I, you know, I just contemplate, you know, um, what triggered me today and did I, you know, what were the underlying beliefs? You know, did I respond with love? Is there more work to be done where I can naturally figure out what's blocking the flow of love or what, what expect, what expectations, fears, insecurities do I have and just work upon myself. And it's, it's revisiting those triggers that you had during the day that, that allows for that distillation, that chewing process. Yeah. And, 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 and this is why I was so interested in talking about this particular session in the moment is when all of the learning and experience that you've brought to bear to date come into play. It is in that squeeze of the moment when you get the first hint of the emotional content of, 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 of the situation you're in. That is such a crucial and uh, it's a crucial thing. And it's something I've actually asked Kua about before, like, it happens so quickly. It happens so quickly sometimes that you react. And this concept of being triggered is the perfect way to express that. And I feel like what we're learning is how to deal with our triggers in a way where we can expand the amount of time we have to consider them. That's what I think the real skill is. It's like we don't always have that time in the moment, so we need to have another approach that gives us the time. It does seem like time is an important thing. We need to have the opportunity to seat this stuff, and we can't always choose wisely in the moment. So like this idea of like a skill of dealing with it, I think, really puts in focus what it is that we're talking about in this session. Absolutely.
let's go ahead and continue because uh, Kuo uh, continues to talk about this topic. Perhaps the trigger is an old friend, one you recognize as having been able to offer you catalyst in the past. A moment to contemplate the catalyst, and you will begin to work with that catalyst without your having to do anything other than honor and respect the emotional process that has been offered to you. You may consider whether you wish to move with the response that impulsively came to you. Perhaps you do, but you may not. You may find it to be less than your deepest and truest response. So then you have the opportunity to move past whatever pain or suffering was in the trigger that moved you from your previous setting of peace and contentment. It is not that you are looking for better behavior from yourself. The attempt to, quote, behave often creates more problems for the seeker than the willingness to speak honestly, or as this instrument would say, speak truth to power. If heads roll and feelings are hurt because it was ethically necessary for you to tell the truth, then so be it. However, there are many times when the initial surface response that has been triggered is not your deeper truth, but rather an artifact left over from your childhood or from earlier in your life when you did not feel supported, cherished, or valued. It takes a surprisingly small amount of time to recognize such triggers and to turn to that inner child or that younger version of yourself that was harmed and has suffered and express to it with caresses and kisses and rocking in your arms that you love and honor and respect that pain. And you are there to comfort and give the balm of Gilead to that suffering. I think that just expands on what we were saying, but also goes into one or two new areas. Um, I think it's important to recognize that the Confederation does see a place for the spontaneous reaction. Those of Ra mentioned that is in the unstudied spontaneous response to catalysts that we that we sort of recognize it most clearly, right? We recognize what the lesson is most clearly. And here they're saying that sometimes that is appropriate. Maybe not court, <laughs> um, but maybe in, in other situations. I know that like there have been, especially since I started like seriously walking the spiritual path, I have noticed more spontaneous expressions of anger than I did before. And it's really weird. You would think that it would be the opposite. I think things are being uncovered as I'm addressing issues, new issues come up, right? Like it becomes safe for the self to express to the self the pain that it has. And so you start to see yourself working through this stuff. The issue is not, in my opinion, uh, what the right thing to do is in the situation, but the thing is, who is the self whose best truth is being expressed at that moment? Like if you react in a way that doesn't express your highest truth, that is just as instructive as uh, not reacting and taking it uh, into meditation or reflection or something, and then uh, sort of mulling it over and wondering who the self is that wants to respond. Agree. And, you know, your comment about um, you've experienced, or I don't know how exactly you phrase it, but you've, uh, in, in general, you've experienced more anger. Uh, at least consciously, once you've started walking the spiritual path. So I, I find that very similar to my own experience. Um, in my upbringing, though, you know, I was taught, and this I think is very normal, that, you know, you shouldn't, um, a good person doesn't experience a lot of anger, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so it wasn't, a, which is kind of like a distortion of what I think, uh, how a healthy person should be, right? Or how uh, a person who's processing catalyst should be. It's not that 
you shouldn't experience anger. I would word it that um, whatever anger you experience, you um, act and process it in a constructive fashion so that you resolve the underlying issue, right? So it's not that the anger itself is the evil and you just suppress it and avoid it. It's more like it's a it's a it's a tool, it's a pointer to you know where uh, you can improve yourself spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. But because you know, because like I think a lot a, a lot of families, <laughs> you just were you know you're not supposed to be angry. My way of dealing with anger, and I didn't even realize this, was just to automatically suppress it because it was unacceptable, right? Yeah. So unlearning those mechanisms so that I could organically allow myself experience anger and then organically. Uh, process that catalyst and learn from it became very important in my spiritual path The you know, a lot of red orange ray issues, even yellow ray were very, very interrelated to that. And uh, in a certain sense, I noticed that I became more comfortable and familiar with the uh, emotion of anger where in the past I would just completely suppress it. And it would be horrible because it would, as I said before, when you suppress something completely, it'll often come out when the trigger arises again and again and again in a huge outburst, right? And it's not healthy or useful in those. Those would be the, the situations where the you're, you overreact and it's not necessarily the, the best impu- uh, way to um, handle that impulsive moment. Yeah, the, the, the idea of skill, I think that really appeals to me is the idea that, um, how do I put this? Like even lashing out in the most non-self-aware way teaches, right? All of these responses, reactions, uh, whether they are skillful or not, teach. So when you introduce skill into the situation, you're bringing experience and memories of past experiences. And you're saying, I'm giving myself a choice where before I didn't give myself a choice. Right. The whole concept of a trigger is that you don't have a choice. The stimulus happens and the response is immediate. That is the triggering. So as you develop the ability to have different to have a choice of how you respond, you're slowly decoupling these things that may be very, like Kuo says, very uh, uh, deeply buried experiences of pain. It, we don't want to feel pain, and it's completely rational that we don't want to feel pain, but it is an important part of the human experience, and we do need to make time for it and respect it, and that is where the skill comes in. Ways to respect both your own third density surface needs to maintain relationships, to maintain some sort of decorum and to not make things worse according to how you understand things, but also being able to actually face this pain, face this distortion. It's nice when you can do it on your own terms. Sometimes you don't feel that you can, but the skill comes from recognizing how you can meet both needs. Your need to be an authentic human being that has anger and and, and negative emotions and your ability to better participate in your spiritual evolution by making use of these experiences, by uh, healing the wounds, balancing the distortions. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's very, very important to give space to your to one's experience to have these sorts of catalysts, to have these sorts of triggers. And then by doing so, you definitely uh, add a little bit more space between the automatic impulsive reaction and the actual trigger. Um, I would, you know, when I was in management before, I often tell my, my, uh, my attorneys that I was training, look, every attorney, no matter how good they are, if they haven't any amount of clients, you're going to have a client who is uh, unjustly unhappy with your excellent performance. 
and is going to wrongfully accuse you of of doing things that are not true. Yeah. Now, as you get better at being an attorney, that's going to happen less and less often. But even the most experienced attorney, that's going to happen to them maybe once every few years, maybe for a new attorney a few times a year. But the bottom line is it's always a part of your experience as an attorney that you're going to be unjustly accused of something. And so when it happens, definitely ask yourself, how can you learn from it? But don't be like, this should not be happening. Because the fact is, is this stuff happens. So give it space in your reality because it's going to happen whether you give it space or not. Um, and if you don't give it space, you're just going to react poorly and not really understand the true dynamics of the situation. Yeah. When someone criticizes how you did your job, uh, that bugs us if for no other reason, because if we're honest with ourselves, and I think a lot of what we're talking about here is honesty, right? What is the honest response? What is the honest way to deal with the pain, right? So when someone criticizes your job because they don't think you did it well, a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we always think we could do better, right? Like right. there's always a reason to think that you in some small way let somebody down. But there's also ways in which they let us down too. Like <laughs> that honesty with yourself so that somebody else doesn't trigger a crisis where then you have to be, you know, uh, uh, intensely honest with yourself. And you just set a, a pattern of being honest with yourself and, you, and, you're, and you're coming up with um, skills, heuristics, techniques for revisiting this pain revisiting this uh this 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 grief or this sorrow or these buried memories that still hurt you you're doing right by it and you're doing right by the the human situation that you're in as you learn to decouple i think i think you're decoupling uh the defensive reaction you have to protect yourself from the pain that you felt in the past you're decoupling that reaction from uh the just being able to look at the situation as it is Absolutely. And um, at least in that example where someone's criticizing, maybe wrongfully criticizing your performance, um, they're, they're, you know, I often talk about fears and securities and expectations. Maybe you have the expectation that if you, let, let's say objectively you did your, rob, your, your job correctly in this case, you, you still, most of us, have this expectation that if I did my job correctly, I should not be criticized unjustly. Right. But the fact is that, <laughs> welcome to earth, it yep. happens, all right? You might be able to decrease the frequency, but it happens. So it's once again, it's I often call it softening, and this is part of the ego, I think, softening those expectations into just mere preferences. I prefer not to be criticized if I've done my job correctly, but hey, <laughs> I prefer strawberry. If I get chocolate, I'm not gonna throw a hissy fit, right? Um, but uh, but also, it's it's not just, all these catalysts have many different layers affect, and if you look at you know the archetypes, if you look at transformation of the mind. It, they actually have all the different energy bo- uh, rays, um, energy centers, but they, they affect so many different energy centers. And, and we're, you know, I'd like to just briefly, um, not to digress, but just in case we have some people who are maybe not, uh, haven't listened to a lot of the podcasts, there are so many tools for Catalyst. And we've, got, we've skipped from one to another, but I just want to just briefly list the ones that, I, that I've been using off the top of my head. Heck yeah. Uh, so let me just jump off in this example, for, exa- the, for example, though, the reason this uh, unjustly being accused might bother you isn't just the expectation aspect. It's also that maybe you, you also have a little bit of insecurity that you're not good enough. Yeah. And, and maybe objectively speaking, you did great in this case. But because you have that inner kernel of uh, maybe I'm not uh, a good enough attorney in, 
in general or in some few cases um, insufficient or, and, and, and that makes me not worthy of love, that's, that, that, that situation, external situation, will often trigger that inner um, uh, lack of self-love. So anyway, here's just some things in no particular order. If there's an order, it's just because maybe what I would, uh, how I process a given catalyst recently. But there's no particular order of these things. And they appear in the quo material, raw material. So offering up the uncomfortable, and a lot of these things I'm listing are not necessarily, they're very difficult to do in the moment. You got to revisit this, right? So, okay, offering up the uncomfortable emotion to the creator and being a vessel for the one infinite creator's experience and letting things flow and letting yourself feel bad. Um, visualizing the opposite situations or feelings, you know, the opposite emotion, uh, accepting uh, via understanding the situation as a part of life on earth, accepting um, via faith. And faith, I think, is very difficult to define, but for me, I would say it's a general confidence that things will make sense and that you will generically be provided for. Even if A, B, and C is something you want, that might not happen. You'll still be taken care of by the creator in, in the creator's own way. And for me, I think it's faith for me often is based on actual personal subjective experience. I think it's difficult to build true faith purely on the basis of something you read. It's something, it's almost like a, a memory of your, of what you observe, your relationship with the creator. Anyway, um, focusing on the present moment energetically, that's uh, so observing the reaction, the emotions, but also observing your energy body the moment, I think is can be very powerful. Uh, setting boundaries, because sometimes other people will often try to offload, or not offload, but when other people are not accepting their own catalyst, they will often blame external things, and they might blame you. And, you know, you, you can, and they might have certain asks of you. And it's okay to do what they want, uh, but just remember, you might be doing it out of, a true service to others, or you might be doing a, a distorted sense of I'm obliged to do it, you know, or maybe you feel pressured, right? To control, they're controlling you to a certain level. Um, I think talking about catalysts with friends definitely helps processing. Um, I would say that some therapists can help, but I also talking to some friends who've gone to therapists, if the therapist has a different perspective on like, you know, reality than how you're approaching it, it could, it might not be as helpful. So I think talking about catalysts with people who are spiritually oriented can be helpful. Uh, and then, you know, we just uh, talked about giving space to catalysts in the human experience. So it's, it's a non-exhaustive list, but there's many. This is all part of, I think, the chewing and the digesting and the distillation of the nutrients from the fiber. That's that's a great uh, and uh, pretty exhaustive list of, of, of ways to think about it. It goes, it goes to show you that when we when we apply skills, we are selecting from a toolkit, ideally, we don't just lean on one. We don't have a hammer for every situation, right? Sometimes you need a screwdriver. Sometimes you need uh, a saw. And uh, so it's good to go over that. I mean, people, it's, it, it is very instructive to me, at least, to know that there's lots of different options available. I can be creative in response to catalysts. It doesn't have to be this negative contracting thing. It can be this is how I like to think of it. Like when I'm at my best, I expand into the catalyst. I open my heart. I feel it deeply. And then that allows me to get past it and expand into the possibilities of the moment that the catalyst is only one part of, right? 
And this actually uh, segues well into the next part that we're talking about. So let's jump back into Kuo. Here we go. Secondly, it is well to realize with a glad and light heart that indeed much of what flows into your system will flow out, unchanged by you as you are by it. Experience, like foodstuff, comes with husks and skins and waste parts that cannot do your energy body any good. It is a mistake often made by those upon the spiritual path to try to cling to every bit of experience, thinking that it all means something. The sheer volume of experience that flows through your energy body is astounding, and the attempt to hold on to it and shape it in some intellectually satisfying way can indeed constipate your energy body. The one known as Freud mentioned that sometimes a cigar was just a cigar. Sometimes a coincidence is indeed just a coincidence. When you are ready for synchronicities, you will begin to see them multiplying all around you. Each time you recognize a coincidence as having a spiritual lesson in its hands, you open yourself more to that level of living, which this instrument would call, quote, magical. The more that you, the more respect that you give to the details of your existence, the animals and birds that you see, the names of the streets and of the people that you meet and so forth, the more open that you will become to receiving many helpful hints and pointed suggestions from your environment. Let's, uh, let's take a break right there. Um, I think that this is ex- incredibly useful. What we're talking about, uh, so there's the triggering aspect where it's purely emotional. And it is kind of your learned mental reaction that can often get in the way. And we're trying to learn different mental reactions that give us time and space for the catalyst. But there's also another important part to catalyst, which is that not all of it is catalyst. (laughs) Not all of it is the lesson. Some of it is just the fiber. And that's a really interesting thing that I had. I don't think I'd ever given uh, direct and uh, patient thought to it before. What what do you think about this, Lithan? So it's, it is an interesting um, concept and, you know, over the years I've been formulating something similar in that um, I often, so you'll have these situations where aspects of the catalyst seem like it's clearly catalyst and then aspects of the catalyst or aspects of a situation, you're like, is that random or like what happened? And then I've sometimes been, I've sometimes taken the approach that I'm not sure if what actually happened wasn't random and I'll just, I'll, I'll wait for like a, a repeat of the, of the experience. Cause I'll tell you this, if it is catalyst, there's going to be a repeat and you haven't learned the yeah. lesson. There's going to be a repeat. And what's interesting is, um, well, one, it'll be repeated and it's like clearly, okay, that's, you, you'll get the message in so many different ways, especially if you ask for meditation yep. clarity on whether there's actually a lesson here. Man, you get hit over the head like 500 times. At least that's been in my experience. And then what's also interesting is in the, in, the, in the moments where you're wondering if it's Catalyst and it doesn't end up turning out to be Catalyst, for me at least, it's really weird in that there's always been, a, like maybe a few months later, almost when I've forgotten about it, a resolution that explains what happened. Like a new fact that comes out that explains, oh, it was just a coincidence. You know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's always interesting. It's like there, there's, there's closure for me when I really seek about a situation that, that, that seems like it could be catalyst, either I'll get a repeat of it or I'll get some sort of closure a few months later, even after, uh, after I've almost started to forget about it. It's really weird. Yeah. And that must be, it, it, I could see that being real, really useful 
because just like Kuo and the Confederation repeat the same information over and over again, but they do it in these slightly different ways. And I think that's I think that's very helpful because we don't always hear it right the first time. We don't always hear it in one context, what they're actually saying. But in another context, it might get through us, right? It might get through to us. And I think right. Catalyst is the same way. It's like when it repeats, it means it's important. And therefore, you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. Your reaction, your the way that you process it, you will get it right eventually. There's no, there's no worry there. It's just about what's the, what's, what, what path are you going to choose to finally balancing this? That's where the skill comes in just because trying to do it more efficiently and with less suffering is always, it's always nice. You know, I, I think, uh, I don't know, uh, which confederation source it was, but they said once in a session, you know, the creator does not want you to suffer. The creator is not looking to create problems for you. Creator is looking for learning. You don't have to experience this negatively if you don't want to. Most of us do, right? Most of us learn the hard way. That's fine. But that's our choice. And that's where the skill comes in, I think. This, this part where we're talking about um, the discernment of synchronicity and coincidence and subjective hints, I think is also useful for those who call themselves seekers. Because that can also be a crutch that we lean on, just as much as it can be a helpful hint that we use to wake up. Um, coincidence is often like seeing a street sign that like reflects exactly what I was thinking at the time, or seeing eleven eleven on the clock, or something like that. Like, it took me a long time to get to the point where I felt like I was in balance with that stuff. Because often I would get those little hints, I would get those little synchronicities, and I'd think, "All right, now I have to do something. Now I have to like." I, 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 I have to, uh, I have to start paying attention and I get all amped up and worked up and I'm trying, and I'm telling myself this big story about what's going on. That's what we always do when we apprehend reality. We tell ourselves a story about what it is that's going on because the bottom line is that there's a billion things going on in that moment. So we have to narrow it down to the thing that's relevant to us. And the skill comes from tweaking that relevancy, I think. Uh, allowing ourselves to think more expansively about it. Um, but part of that expansive thinking, I think, is considering that maybe a synchronicity is just a coincidence. Considering that you are the one who decides what's significant in your life, not hints from the creator. <laughs> and you can't use synchronicities and hints that you can't put to use. And that's okay. Because we're all learning. We're all growing towards a higher consciousness. And we'll get there. And if it's not useful, it's not useful. I don't like when people, it bugs me because I've done it in the past. It bugs me when people force um, an overly magical approach to their life that seems to be so exotic and twee that it, it it's hard to engage with right now you're not living a life you're just telling yourself stories that distance you from the real emotional depth of what's going on i find that people who talk in coincidences synchronicities all the time like all the time they tend to be running from what's right in front of their face the real emotional things that the synchronicities are trying to point them towards and instead they're just creating this magical story i don't think that's very helpful it's like bypassing I, I would agree. I mean, I think discernment is actually 
probably a, a, a very important lesson. I think it's probably about a guess because I it's it's always not, I think it's a more advanced lesson, frankly. I, I think it's related to the green, blue, and indigo rays. And I think it's if you haven't really struggled with discernment, then you probably haven't really um really, I guess engage with that catalyst which is an important catalyst uh, yeah i've gone through this so many times and i think a lot of seekers go through this right you're you're and I, I think discernment is interrelated to some sort of distortion related to um ex, uh, just following authority basically yeah it, it they're, yes. they're very interrelated and 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 you know uh, it comes up in that okay someone some book whether it's the raw material or whatever uh, you know, or some religious text or some guru has been right about X, Y, and Z. Therefore, they must be right about every other thing they talk about. And that's a basic lesson of discernment. I feel like it, it shows up in re major religions, right? Just because just because the message of love is the right one, well, everything else they're talking about must be true. And it's 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 a very important lesson because... And it's a it's a constantly evolving lesson, right? We're always learning more and more about discernment. But until you fully step into the lesson of recognizing that discernment is is both a skill and a lesson, you're giving away your personal authority. You're giving away your free will, and you're you're giving it away to either others who are going to manipulate you with these synchronicities or to random chance. And there, I there are synchronicities, there are magical experiences, but there are also experiences that others manipulate you know and and cause and there are other uh, there are all ex there are experiences that are random and until you as your own personal authority get better at figuring that out you're i think you're missing a key aspect of actually recognizing the magic when it's there instead of always just assuming it's there yeah um so i keep coming back to this concept of skill because it seems like what you're talking about the idea that hey if they said some things that i um accept in the past, then I must, then they must be saying things that I need to accept in the future. And that's, that is a kind of heuristic. That is a right. strategy that you have adopted. Right. It may be appropriate and it may not be appropriate. And what I really find interesting is not which one is right or wrong or whatever that might mean, but understanding, like you said, all of the different heuristics, all of the different skills that you have and giving yourself time and the mindful ability to apply what you think is the best. And then learning from that, right? The, 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 it's a package deal. If you're going to apprehend reality and deal with its messiness and the hidden lessons in it, then, you, then you're making a bargain with yourself one way or another, in my opinion, that you're going to have to chew on that. And you're, going to have to, you're going to have to balance that later. It may be much, much, much later, or it might be tonight, or it might be in an hour. But these things that are important enough to trigger us, that are important enough to throw us off our center, need to be respected. And they need to be treated with care and a creative approach that gives yourself options, that puts you in charge. That is what I think third density is about just as much as... Um, as, as, as building the social memory complex, it's each of us being responsible units of that complex. We can't just discipline each other into 
a social memory complex. It has to come from each of us personally, individually. And so learning these, these ways of dealing with hardship and stress and lessons, this is all good stuff. And it doesn't need to be, and it doesn't need to be um, any more exotic than we want it to be. Nothing that we are saying really has that much to do with new age woo-woo. It has a lot to do with just emotional, psychological health. And then just seeing, once again, right? Like I, I bring up like a sort of more medical idea of this stuff because that is also a heuristic, a lens that we can apply to a situation. It's not the whole truth of the situation, but it's useful in some situations. And so just understanding this creative way that we can sort of dance through the illusion instead of just always going around with one tool that we use, one skill, one hammer, one ability. And like a trigger is a skill too. A trigger is something that we learn to defend ourselves from a pain that we couldn't face. That is also a skill. So we're unlearning skills and we're learning new skills. And this is all, and there's plenty of time to do all of this. Yeah, sometimes it feels like, um, you know, the <laughs> time time moves so quickly between major catalysts to major catalysts, but uh, there's, there's time. I mean, there's time in the day to really you know, take out 15 minutes. Yeah. It's funny because I think there's a part in the raw contact where they talk about, you know, Hey, if you don't use your catalyst, you're just going to eventually leave your life and need to come back to learn these lessons again. And, uh, it's almost like time speeds up in our lives as we get older because of the tremendous amount of catalysts that we don't process. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like, okay, well, we need to move you quicker so that you can get more of it, right? Because you're here to have the catalyst, right? Anyway, let's move on. So we were talking about, okay, here, here's, here's the last sentence of the last paragraph from Kuo. The more respect that you give to the details of your existence, the animals and birds that you see, the names of the streets and of the people that you meet and so forth, the more open that you become to receiving many helpful hints and pointed suggestions from your environment. However... This line of thinking is only good up to the point where you begin to hinder yourself from letting, from simply letting things flow. By your need to identify and catalog and think about all the synchronicities, it is very helpful to find that balance between living a life unaware of the amazing profusion of interconnections and inklings and clues that these interconnections will give you, and living a life so wrapped up in self-analysis that you are never able to break out of that bubble of thinking about yourself, so that you can simply be yourself. Let the husks be husks. Let the skins be skins. Let them pass through you and away from you. If you do receive difficult catalysts, then let it flow. Move directly into the heart of it. Chew it well. Take it in small bites insofar as you can. And just keep chewing. Keep swallowing. Keep affirming to yourself that much of what is moving through you will move from you. And only that which can do you good is going to stay with you. Yeah, that just kind of like wraps up what we were kind of recapitulates what we were talking about earlier. Like this stuff is going to work itself out. And the skill is often in better, more efficient ways to process catalyst so that it doesn't have to come at us so hard. There, there is a there. Is, I don't know if it's Kuo or, or Ra or who, but they said that there was there was there's a there's a principle that like, you know, if you ignore catalyst, you just it just mounts. Right. It just gets more and more intense. It just keeps right. trying to get your attention. And so it's actually a skill, I think, to learn how to take it in bite-sized pieces, to take as much as you can, only take as much as you can, but process it so that you can take more. 
as you learn how to keep processing this stuff. That I think is an important part of discernment is you learn how to discern by processing these things. We always talk about discernment, 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 as if it's just something a, a seeker is supposed to know how to do. No, right. I think one of the things that the ways that you learn discernment is learning how to digest this catalyst and learning what sticks, what lessons, what aspects touch you in, in your heart and which seem to just be, eh, that's just the proximate cause. It may be that I have a real problem with, say, bad drivers, but as I sit with that catalyst and process it and get to the core of what it is that actually triggers me, I realize it has nothing to do with driving. It has everything right. to do with a feeling of not being respected on the road, not being respected by other people or whatever, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I think this taking small bites is, is very, very important. There's many layers. Um, you know, any we talked about any given catalyst can have effect or distortions in multiple energy rays, energy centers. But uh, for me, what I found very fascinating, and I found this to be very true in my journey, and, and Jeremy, you can tell me this is, is true for you. So often, you know, once you start the spiritual path and you're familiar with, you know, the energy centers and the basic concept behind them, you can identify the pro the uh, catalyst as affecting certain energy centers and be, oh, this one's about self-love and, you know, loving life. And that that's generally true. Those are the ultimate lessons. But I've found you're, you're, that sometimes doing that spiritually bypasses. You have to do the homework. Why is it? What are the intermediate steps that makes this situation make you feel like you don't love yourself? What is yeah. What are the intermediate steps that makes this situation feel like you don't love life? And so, I mean, just taking an example you just used. So, you know, maybe the thing about um, driving is that maybe an intermediate step is at some point um, you were criticized for your driving, right? And even though maybe you don't, and, and this often happens where I don't even remember that, but I'm, the catalyst will keep showing up until I visit that intermediate step. And I put down in my notes, it's like, you might know the answer to the, to the question, but the teacher wants you to do your homework and show your steps. And I found that processing catalysts is the same way. You might, you might know that ultimately you figure out, especially in social situations, okay, this is yellow ray stuff. You might figure out that the ultimate goal is to feel this way or to be this way. But until you visit the individual, often stuff from childhood, upbringing, memories that led you to have beliefs that are contradictory to, that, to the um, undistorted yellow ray concepts, you skipping to those to those realizations isn't going to be as effective or isn't what is required of you as to actually revisiting every intermediate memory and step and realizing that's where the distortion started building and first arrived at yeah it's like does we that get, make sense yeah it's like we get tested yeah, we have yeah. to we, we we have to write a short answer that shows that we understand this stuff <laughs> exactly. on the test we can't just do a b c or d right like that's easy to skip um it's easy yeah. to, to to fudge um no i totally agree um, it's just worth pointing out that, you know, we are both the test taker and the test giver, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I think, I think the reason why third density works in this way with the veil and we're kind of working, uh, um, like orthogonal to the actual issue. It almost, it almost seems like a lot of the spiritual lessons we learn, we're learning at 90 degrees. Like we're not directly working with them. We're always working with them through a layer, through a, yeah. a, a sense of indirection is because we're learning something that really... We're learning a spiritual power, a spirit, a way of using our own capability that this, th this, this, this very crude world exercises 
we're going to use the the powers that we're building with these lessons in fourth density. And I think a lot of those powers have to do with our ability to focus our will and our ability to stand on our own truth because we won't have as concrete of a reality as we do now. And so it's going to matter a lot more. This is just me speculating, listener, but it's going to matter a lot more. All of these mental and spiritual and emotional disciplines that we're learning, they're going to come in the full flower in, in future densities. It's here that we're, we're working on the muscles. And so it's important to understand that like sometimes the lessons we're learning don't have any greater meaning and they have a lot of like baggage along with them that isn't crucial to learning a lesson. They're only there to facilitate the lesson. We don't have to worry about uh, some of the more mundane details. They're just the fiber. They just get, they just allow us to get that food into our mouth. And once it's in our mouth, then it's up to our digestive system, i.e. our spiritual uh, practice of, of sitting with it and, and, and distilling it uh, to, to then work with it, extract what's important and leave the rest behind. I mean, I think even who we are as third density personalities, we're going to be leaving a lot of the things that we think we are behind. This personality that's talking to you right now, I mean, that's not really who I am. I'm so much deeper. I'm so much broader, but I just don't have access to it. So that's going to be left behind probably. But the, the love that I was able to express, the love that I was able to accept, that is what teaches. And that's what I'm going to be taking with me. I couldn't have said it better. Good. <laughs> Good. Then you don't have to. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So Kuo continues on the third item. Thirdly, it has often been said that food is at its best when it is eaten with friends, when there is laughter and good conversation and good fellowship. And this is true. In the company of friends, the body relaxes, the heart can, maintain un can remain undefended, and the digestion flows smoothly. Likewise, within your energy body, see the food that you are eating as being eaten at a party. Do you think that you are in a rut? Do you think that your life is boring? Look again. Let your life be a celebration. If it seems that the only one at the party is you, then light a candle. Put out a napkin and belly up to having a wonderful party by yourself. Find reasons to laugh. Look for those thoughts that put everything in perspective. Make it a habit to step back and ask yourself what the wider view might be. There is a skill that can be learned in the way that any habit is learned of being good company to yourself. Watch for those thoughts in which you put yourself down, call yourself stupid, bemoan your fate, or otherwise open the door into that view of life which is in which life is hard. We do not suggest that life is not sometimes hard. This is so. It is one of the very reasons that you wanted to be in this environment, this boot camp, as this instrument calls it. Yet at the same time, within you is the ability to choose to replace a downward spiral with an upward spiral. Both this instrument and the one known as G are fond of the prayer of St. Francis, and we would iterate it at this time. Listen to the choices and come to see how you may create, of any situation, a positive and hopeful tendency. The prayer, in its translation into your English language, goes like this. O Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, teach me to seek not so much to be loved as to love. Not so much to be understood as to, be un as to understand. Not so much to be consoled as to console. For it is in pardoning that I am pardoned. It is in giving that I receive, and it is in dying 
that I shall rise to eternal life with my beloved at last. Okay, sorry, that was a big chunk for me to take all at once. Um, just didn't seem like there was a good stopping point. But uh, the point about food best uh, enjoyed with friends is one that I've been grappling with a lot. The idea that the sorrows and struggles in our life, we actually really, really benefit from sharing them with others and letting them reflect our experience to us. What do you, th- what do you think of that, Nathan? Oh, a- absolutely, man. I mean, it's, it's so, so useful to um, discuss it with like-minded friends. Now, I think it, it can, it can still be of some merit to discuss it with people who maybe aren't on the same understanding. Um, but really, if you're, if you're talking to someone who doesn't understand these concepts, uh, the benefit is minimal. Uh, I think it's similar to maybe just writing out in your personal journey, a journal or diary. But if you're talking to someone who really understands, you know, the, some basics that you at least uh, of the spiritual path that you're on and the way you're looking at catalysts, it is so helpful. I mean, we've both helped each other out so many times right. in our one on ones and stuff, and it's just it's it's just amazing. There's um, it's not even, I think, the logical. Uh, exchange of words there's something energetic about the experience that occurs and uh, it really seems to help uh, the digestion yeah i couldn't agree more i mean it's one of the reasons i wanted to to start this working group and to make the core of it uh rest upon individual interactions where we share our lives with each other and we try to work through our catalyst together of course, I agree with you. I, I would probably go farther than you and say that you can also process this catalyst with others who don't share this philosophy. The difference is, is that you have to do more translation. And that can be not as relaxing as just being able to speak your native tongue to somebody, right? And, um, sorry. And also in those cases, because um, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. If it's a best friend, they're pro- even if they um, aren't on the same path spiritually, they'll probably give you a lot of leeway. But if you're just talking to like an average friend who's not on the spiritual path, maybe I just have bad average friends. They might try to shoot <laughs> down and and um, you know really shoot down your interpretation. So in a, in a way, it's uh, just a very different experience. It might be actually just as useful. I I've always been like, all right, he's gonna shoot me down. Like, let me actually avoid this. But maybe maybe in its own way, if you're able to defend your interpretation, or, or maybe not defend, but if you're able to engage that level of. Um, skepticism maybe that is its its own catalytic uh transformation in its own way yeah and it could also be considered a skill to know which of your friends can help you at a moment right and also uh it's certainly a skill as well this interpretation that we are always doing of trying to take the love that we feel and translating it into the moment that we find ourselves in like that's also a skill and like your your idea of being able to take the pushback and get something from it, as opposed to just feeling misunderstood, also a skill. There's lots of skills being referenced here. These are, and, and like, I think you put it best when you suggested to the listener that they experiment and recognize how many different skills are available. They're not stuck in one approach to reality. They can try different things. It's like uh, Pima Chodron says that like when you're stuck, like the last thing you want to do is keep doing the same thing over and over. Do anything else, even something foolish. Just to try, just to break yourself out of this wreck, because that's where freedom comes about. It's also where responsibility and danger come about. That's true. You can also mess yourself up and and and, and put yourself back a few steps. But that's that's the gamble of life. That's always what we're trying to do when we go into the unknown. 
we don't know what we're going to face. And it's perfectly reasonable that we might have some apprehension towards it. Uh, the faith that you were referring to earlier, I think, comes from doing it anyway. Right. Absolutely. It's, it, as I said, I, I, I think faith is hard to define, but maybe that's only because I'm still working on those indigo ray lessons. But, Me too. Uh, it's, it's almost like I would define faith nowadays, and this is different. And honestly, my definition of faith has been changing over the past few years. But it's almost like just your relationship with the creator. Like, how would, like what, what's your relationship with the creator? Yep. Is it distant? Is it close? Is it, like, do you feel supported by the creator? It's like how, it's the confidence in just that even if everything goes wrong, there's still going to be some things going right that you have no idea what they are, right? It, it's yeah. just, I don't know. Hard the to way, explain. The, well, the way that I would explain faith, and I know that this is incomplete, but I'm going to do it anyway, uh, is uh, it is uh, the recognition that the will that you are expressing is aligned with the creator's will. So I, t- I totally agree with that statement um, in general, but I've, I don't know if I've thought of that. You don't think it speaks to faith particularly, though. So you're saying if, if, if your will aligns... Well, no, it is an aspect of faith, right? Because basically it's the confidence... I'm just putting it into my, yeah, my yeah, yeah. Uh, terms. It's a confidence that whatever ha- is happening, what you're doing is in alignment. Even, even if you don't see that alignment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It, so I, it's, I, I it's like recognizing that. your own creatorship and right. that the, the, the basic thing that makes it uh creatorship is that ability to uh, realize your will, to realize your desires. And I think faith comes in when we recognize more and more that our true desire is the creator's desire, which is for all to become one again. And so acting on that faith becomes what actions can I take? What thoughts can I think? What ways can I be that express in this unique moment that unity? It's a symbol of the unity, but it's a symbol that teaches. And it's a symbol that, re, that, that affirms to ourselves what we want and why we want it. Yes. And while you're saying that, I was thinking about probably a distortion of my own in how I, I, I really try to word my definition of faith uh, in a way to um, inform people that I, what I think faith is not. So I yeah. don't think, I, I right. feel like a faith is often misused. People be like, oh, you know, I have faith that God won't um, take my house from me, even though we're going through foreclosure. And see, I, I feel that's too specific. I don't think faith... I mean, you can have emotions and beliefs surrounding that, but I wouldn't characterize that as faith. Faith is more, in my opinion, as applied to that situation of even if God yes. or the Creator takes my house from me, I will still somehow be provided for. Like, it's it's not about yeah. a specific situation. It's it, more like a general confidence in the relationship you have. With that's what makes it so hard to put your finger on because people, it's, it's kind of like when you pray, I, I, I'm going to pray for a promotion at work. It's like, well, you're putting a lot of criteria on the creator's ability to fulfill your needs. Right. Like, but as you understand what it is you're really after in life, oh, I'm going to pray to the creator to uh, advance my career in the best way possible. Right. And then you expand even beyond that and you say, I'm going to pray to the creator to just Give me the the lessons that I need. And then you can right. expand beyond that and just be grateful for everything that you're dealing with. Like there's these different levels and they're all expressing your desire. They're all expressing something that you want. 
but you are understanding yourself at these deeper layers. And as you do that, you become more able to deal with whatever it is that life is giving you because you have a place to put it where it is proper and it fits and it's not a mistake and, and, and something that shouldn't be happening. Right. Right. It's almost um, like broadening or understanding that at least at this stage for most of us, um, if for us to be in alignment with the creator, there's a recognition that it's just hard to break free of the separate self and the ego. Now we can diminish it. Um, we can be more and more in that, um, in, in the uh, consciousness of the creator, but there's still an aspect of us. that's always going to feel at least in my opinion, in 3d, uh, or at least the 3d, 4d transition that feels separate. And yeah. so when our desires are coming from that separate self, we might really want a house, but it, but because we can't fully see the creator's will for the situation. We broaden our request. And so instead of praying for, I mean, pray for to keep your house for sure. But this philosophy or this way of thinking about it is to be in complete alignment. You pray for um, your basic survival needs to, to always be taken care of, right? You're broadening it as to make your will more in alignment with whatever the creator's will is. And, right. Uh, and the creator's will is not about material specific things. It's about right. broader spiritual concepts. That's the key. And that's exactly why those of the confederation uh, work with questions that deal with spiritual principles so much more effectively than like, you know, who will win the Kentucky Derby or, you know, you know, transient stuff like that. That stuff is only valid in a very small moment in the billions and billions and billions of years of this creation. But love will always be relevant. Love will always be something that we need to learn more about. Jeremy, it's it's always so wonderful talking to you because, uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe, at least in the raw material I've read, um, it describes faith in, in this fashion. It's just what I'm talking about, and I think what you're talking about, is just what we've learned, what we've distilled about the concept of faith through our personal experiences and applying the general principles of the, the Confederation philosophy to our own lives. And it's just, it's so it's so beautiful when organically two separate seekers they come up with the same understanding because we're basically pulling in our journey from these universal concepts, right? And it's it's just a great feeling to be like, okay, I'm not totally crazy here, you know, I'm not totally insane. There's someone else who's uh, thinking along the same the same lines. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, I would, I would, I would ask the, uh, maybe we should do an episode on, on faith just straight up since it yeah. seems to be something that has a lot. Um, like I just did a search on law of one.info and there's a lot of different mentions by those of raw of faith. And I feel like my concept of faith came from that, but it also was conditioned in the way that I, I, I can make sense of it in my own mental constructs. Um, and you know, I'm talking to a lawyer who who wants to get the words exactly right. So like we both we both have our hangups on discussing this. And maybe maybe if we dressed it head on in a future episode, we can yeah, make more sense of it. I think it'd be a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, I don't think we have too much more to go. So here's Kuo. Kuo says, How easy it is to grease the wheels of hatred within you. And if that habit takes hold within you then you shape the energy body in a way that is very toxic for it. You can take catalyst that has a perfect right to be taken badly. And yet if you refuse to take it as it is on the surface, as you would have the impulse to do, and instead look at, look for the love in that hateful moment, look for the light in that darkness, look for the hope in that despairing thought. 
you can cleanse your system of its toxins. It is not particularly helpful to scold yourself or to punish yourself. It is only helpful to sympathize with yourself and offer yourself those hopes, those consolations, those little bits of light that can make the darkest night, the longest suffering, into something that is doable, bearable, and survivable. If you do not hang on to those emotions that are dark, they shall indeed wash through you. Although certainly in the midst of a blow, emotionally speaking, it does not seem to be possible that you may heal or go on, we assure you that you can. You are true of heart, firm of purpose, desiring to be a servant of the one infinite creator and a force for love in your incarnation. These things about you are true, regardless of what happens. Hold on to them and use them. Use the knowledge of yourself as a good person, a trustworthy person, a loyal and loving person, so that you are able to bring your own torn spirit into unity, your own dark thoughts into light of your own love and your own belief that all is well. Well, I think this really, <laughs> we've several times in this conversation anticipated something that Quo then goes on and says. Yeah. Well, let, let me jump in because I think for where these, these two paragraphs are going, I actually think the, a very important point is actually in the first line of the next paragraph. There will be times when it seems that your energy body is ill. Let it be ill. And the reason I think this is really important is this really ties back into if you do not hang on, if you do not hang onto these emotions that are dark, they shall indeed wash through you. And I think what's super important and super key to understand is it's not suppressing or refusing to acknowledge when you have these dark thoughts or hateful emotions. If you actually suppress them, that's a way of hanging on to the hate. It yep. might not be in your conscious mind. But the way, the way you let these dark, hateful thoughts, the anger um, flow through you and, and how you don't hold, hold on to it, is you let, them, you let them arise within your consciousness. You don't necessarily identify in that moment with, you know, and usually if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've done this process, usually it's, it doesn't, you know, the anger and, and the, the, the hateful emotion, it doesn't last forever. It's usually, I would say, more momentary. Now, obviously, it depends on the type of catalyst, how long that moment is. But as long as it's you use a meditative technique where you don't identify with any of the, the hateful thoughts or anger that's occurring, but you let it flow through. You let you let the hate. <laughs> you let the hate. It's almost like I feel like I'm talking about like uh, I know Star You're Wars a Sith Lord. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But you, you you let the hate flow through you so that you can release it and, yes. and you experience it, but you don't identify with it. And so that's when why when Ross, when uh, Quo says there'll be times when it seems that your energy body is ill, let it be ill. That's it. I think it's so important that you acknowledge these um, these uh, destructive or less uh, useful emotions so that you don't hold on to them and so that you can process yeah. that stuff. Once again, we're on a different skill. Um, the skill of being able to find the love within the moment. One of the hardest things I've ever tried to do, and I think I do it very poorly. But it's easy to see why. Because I often take Catalyst that has a perfect right to be taken badly, badly. Right. And the skill comes from giving yourself a chance to really feel that hurt and then to be able to find the healing that's always there. And if you can do that, then the hurt, the negative emotion, the darkness has served its purpose. And, and I just want to clarify here, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So, Jeremy, when you say negative in this case, you're not talking about service to self you're just talking about um uh unpleasant. emotions that we don't yeah. like unpleasant, unpleasant. Right. yes that's exactly what i mean thank you and i also think that there was this idea of um 
It's about widening your perspective. Although certainly in the midst of a blow, emotionally speaking, it does not seem to be possible that you may heal and go on. We assure you that you can. Like, that is one of the biggest ways of dealing with uh, hurt and pain. Um, And it's something that I see when others are going through tough situations too. We think that when we're at our lowest, that that's the way that we'll be for the rest of our lives. And that's the way we're going to die. It's feeling exactly like we feel right now. And that's when we despair because it seems like there's nowhere to go. And the bottom line is that just because it feels that way and it feels true and inescapable, we also uh, need to learn the skill of recognizing that it isn't the truth just because it feels that way. We will, there will be another day. There will be another year. There will be another time where we will have had time to let this pass through us. We hold on to it, I think, because we feel like there's something wrong because we're in pain. There's something wrong with us because we're hurting. There's nothing necessarily wrong with us because we hurt. This illusion hurts. It doesn't mean there's something right that you're happy either. Like emotions just happen to us. They're like weather. And it, it, it doesn't mean there's no meaning in them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it's not, it's not a problem that you're feeling them. Right. And but it's often, actually... often we feel there's a problem if we feel bad. And I think that's where a lot of uh, triggers and defense mechanisms come from is, okay, I have this bad feeling, so now I need to do something to get rid of it. I need to do something to respond to it. And sometimes you can just feel bad. And, you know, honestly, like I've been exposed to this concept for, what, ten, probably 10 years now because that's when I started uh, reading the raw material and Confederation philosophy. But I haven't really – like I I still never really liked unpleasant emotions. but honestly, in the last two years, although I still don't like major catalysts, it feels very uncomfortable, all that stuff. I've noticed that even while I'm feeling and I let myself feel the unpleasant emotions, there's a kernel of excitement now. That's mm. a part of those experiences where I know that this is a transformative process and I just can't fucking wait to see the outcome. It, it's a small kernel, and I, and, I, and I wish it was bigger, especially <laughs> since recently I've been having some catalysts, but it was never present there before. And it's just amazing that even in the darkest moments, often in the past year, two years, there's excitement about how transformative this catalyst is going to be. It's just, I never even thought that it was going to be like that. And it's really weird. Yeah, I've gotten Beautiful. glimpses of that kind of feeling, too, where it's like, oh boy, here comes another one. I wonder what I'm going to learn from this. Like yeah. I'm looking forward to having had processed it rather than looking for a way not to have to process it at all. I shouldn't have to deal with this negative emotion. I shouldn't have to deal with this uh, grief and suffering. Instead, it's not all the time, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to get through this. Like in an anticipatory way, right? Because yeah, it's going to exactly. show me something new because I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really weird. Um and it doesn't happen all the time, but it's, it's, it's very cool. And it comes from like having sat with enough problems often enough that I start to realize, Hey, I felt, I felt low in all of those situations and I got through it. Like you just learn that life is fundamentally not a bad or a good thing. It's just where you're at right now. Yeah. And the only way forward is through it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Let's keep on moving. Uh, So you said the first sentence, 
There will be times when it will seem that your energy body is ill. Let it be ill. Enter into the exhaustion, the depression, or whatever condition which is afflicting your energy body at a particular moment. It is not necessary to behave or to feel in a certain way. So often, spiritual students attempt to maintain a positive point of view on the level of behavior. They simply scoop the inconvenient emotions out of the way so that they will be able to perceive themselves as wise, metaphysically correct seekers. While we encourage you to tweak the thoughts as they come through you and to help yourself to find better versions of your own truth, we do encourage you above all to witness to your own truth, whatever that may be. If you are in a bad way, it is not the end of the spiritual world. And it is far better to allow yourself to heal, to move through that huge amount of catalyst that has somehow gotten stuck in your system than to try to hurry it, even if you are feeling perfectly miserable. It is far better to allow the natural flow of your own energy body to move that through your system as it really feels to do without your asking your energy body to put a rush on it and to get rid of the feelings that you did not want. All of your feelings have gifts in their hands, even the most crushing and cruel. There is for the doughty seeker a lesson in everything. Consequently, if you are inconvenienced by what seems to be an attack of the megrims, whatever that means, allow yourself the rhythm and the grace of a natural flow of returning wellness of being, knowing that you are fundamentally very sound in your health. All right, I bit off a bunch there, but there's some really good stuff in there. Uh, the first thing is recognizing the rightness and the proper nature of sometimes having low times. It is not the end of the spiritual world that you feel this way. It is not something that you necessarily need to put a priority on moving through your system. Sometimes you need to sit with it. Time is a very interesting thing uh, to me. It's one of the things that I find most interesting about how this philosophy relates to our lives because it seems like that capacity for patience of being able to train your attention on things and to hold it there is a lot of the lesson that time has. Being able to sit with people, sit with ourselves, and let that harsh experience, that bad feeling, do its work on us. Instead of just trying to repress it or expel it, which is what our normal reactions to uh, negative feelings are. We just want to get rid of them. We just want to get rid of them somehow. And um, to just be able to sit with it is such a teaching moment. I promise you, listener, the next time that something troubles you, if you just take and sit with it and think about it for five minutes, really think about it and really feel it. That's the key. Really feel it. Actually, F thinking about it. Like, feel it. Yeah, feel is, is feel super important. It. Don't come up with a narrative for why it's wrong for you to feel that way. Don't come up with some explanation for what it really is, and therefore you shouldn't feel the way that you feel. No, 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 no. You're going to have all sorts of justifications and strategies that your mind has come up with so that you don't have to feel pain. That's what second density creatures do, is they avoid pain and they go towards pleasure. We are learning as right. spiritual beings to abide these things and to not see them as problems, but to be able to uh, be ourselves and to radiate love in whatever situation we find ourselves. And so you're doing good work when you feel these things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a mindful yep. awareness and of, of your feeling. 
Like, let the thoughts arise. Just don't identify with them, you know? Whenever you're having um, uncomfortable emotions, at least this is what happens with me, is even when you're feeling them, you'll have thoughts about how to, re how to resolve the external situation causing the problem. Um, you'll have thoughts on new rules to make for your life so yep. this won't happen in the future. Just the ego trying to protect itself. And in fact, um, however well-intentioned the ego might be in, in trying to protect you, it actually prevents you, if you identify with it and be like, yeah, that's the solution. I'm going to take action and I'm going to make a new rule. If, and, and to be fair, identifying with the ego and with those thoughts will actually make the emotion temporarily go away, but it won't address the underlying distortion and you'll, ha and you'll have the same catalyst in a different situation. Um, so, so it can get confusing because before we come on the spiritual path, making those resolutions about life, those new rules, that new... Um, and, you know, promises to yourself to take action to resolve the situation, it does make you feel a little bit better. And let me be very clear here. It's not that you won't take action. It's not that you maybe won't have some, uh, hopefully not a rule, rule is too hard and fast, but maybe you won't have some new, um, you know, shorthand way of handling the situation in the future. But the thing is, you first let yourself you feel what you need to feel. Don't identify with everything. And then once you've processed the emotions... You can revisit what action you need to take, but you're revisiting it from a place of love and acceptance as opposed to before when you're still feeling all those hurtful emotions and you want to avoid it. You're, you're, you're approaching your action from a perspective of fear and insecurity and a sense of control, right? Which is, as you know, if you've read the raw material, um, it's either it's definitely not positive and depending on your level of control, it's either... Uh, in the morass of indifference or <laughs> negatively polarizing if you're really trying to be, uh, you know, um, controlling about every yes, little aspect. I of totally it. agree with you. And I think it's really important for us to repeat this, that because the, the ways that you were talking about, uh, the ways that I were, I was talking about too, about thinking about things in a way that prevents you from having to feel them fully. That is a skill that we have learned. What we are trying to learn now is that that skill doesn't serve us as well as we thought it did. It helps us be right normal third density personalities, it doesn't help us be fourth density radiators of love. And so now that we've made this choice that we want to polarize, we're going to have to learn some new techniques, some new skills. And it's very much in my mind about the balance between wisdom and love, because what we're talking about is it's not just about feeling things and never do anything about it. It's not about right. just doing thing about it and never feeling it, right? It's both of them. It's wisdom and love. It's skills and feeling. You need them both. And if you're hearing in this uh, session that it's all about just accepting and, and adopting new skills, you're not hearing the whole thing. And if you think it's all about just feeling bad and that's somehow how things are going to work, you're also not hearing it. It's both of them at the same time at once. I also... I also want to point exactly. out the thing that it, they said about, um, well, let me just read it. So often spiritual students attempt to maintain a positive point of view on the level of behavior. They simply scoop the inconvenient emotions out of the way so that they will be able to perceive themselves as wise, metaphysically correct seekers. Okay. Now Kuo is addressing us, <laughs> not just normal people, but the people who actually have taken the baton and decided to run the race. We need to recognize that our behavior, Ra has said, behavior is like the least important part of our catalyst processing. Like the thoughts and the right. feelings are the things that really matter. The feelings most of all, 
the thoughts secondarily. And only after all of that has been dealt with, the behavior, because the behavior comes from all that stuff. The behavior is the last ditch reflection of yourself, of your distortions. And remember, if you deal with your thoughts and your feelings, you often won't need catalysts. It's very harsh. We think that uh, there's something that uh, I think, I don't know who says it. I, it's all blurring together to me after all these years of studying this stuff. But uh, they, one of the sources said that, uh, you know, if you would just continue to work on yourself when times are good, you wouldn't need to have to work on yourself when times are bad because you wouldn't have the bad times. The bad times happen because you have lessons that you're learning and you're not doing them without the friction, without the, 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 the catalyst of the negative stuff. So it's all about, especially if we consider ourselves spiritual students, letting ourselves be human and then also giving ourselves the time to patiently work through things that we may think don't reflect well on us. Friends, we all have things about ourselves that we don't particularly care for. And we have to accept those things most of all. It is not about kayfabing and acting like you're a guru in public so that people can see how spiritual you are. It's about being a real human being, being authentic and letting love radiate. And sometimes that love will come through. Maybe it will be harsh. Maybe it will seem like it's angry or something like that. That's also the creator. The issue is, what do you feel? Getting in touch with that feeling that's generating all of that, because that's what we're here to work on. And all of this behavior, all of this thought, these are just ways to get a handle on something that otherwise is so intractable and so abstract, and it, it, it passes through our hands when we try to grasp it. So we're in this illusion so that we can like have more concrete experiences that then make them workable. And then we take the essence and we move on. But acting spiritual, like there's all these new age influencers on Instagram and stuff like that. That that's that's a that's a really, really uh <laughs> vivid example of what I'm talking about. But yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've met who uh call themselves spiritual and they talk about concepts like love and, and things of that nature. But <laughs> Whenever we're talking about like something, and and often I'm not even expressing it as a fear, but there's a there's so just something objectively to be concerned about, whatever. And like, no, don't think about it because that's if you think about if you think about it, that's how it's going to happen. I'm like, and and their their approach to like positivity is just instead of instead yeah. of organically doing the work upon yourself so that you naturally feel more positive and more loving and more giving, it's like no, just. It, just don't think about all the hate and, and the anger that's within you and don't pro and, and by definition, don't process it if you're not thinking about it or at, at any point and just put it deep into your subconscious. And, and it's, I can't tell you how many different people I've talked to who just say that in like a group conversation when there's something about, you know, um, something, a concern or insecurity. It's like, no, just don't even yeah. think about that. You know, don't, don't just shove it out of your mind. I've heard that phrase so many times that I'm like, I don't argue with them, you know, because often these are not close friends, but I'm just like, it's, it's a meme out there almost like it's, it's, it's apparently a very common principle of new age or spiritual thinking that the way you be spiritual is, and, and the way you're, you express positivity is you just don't even acknowledge any fears or negativity at any level whatsoever. And don't even think about them. It just, yeah, it's very interesting. I agree. Well, we're here to say something different and that's cool. Um, all right. So we're down to the pretty much the last page. So 
let's just uh, jump back in. Fortunately, your energy body has a great deal of intrinsic health. And that is the last thing that we would suggest to you at this time. Sometimes when you eat the wrong foods, you might take medicine to help yourself rebalance. Just so, when you have a case of spiritual indigestion, it is very helpful to call upon your guidance and to ask for the help that is all around you. Your guidance is as near to you as your own heartbeat. The angels that are around you wish only to be asked for help. As this instrument was reminded recently, it is always well to remember to ask for that help and to open yourself expectantly to receive it. Do not feel, no matter how alone you seem to be, that you are truly isolated. My beloved friends, nothing could be further from the truth. You swim in a sea of unity and interconnectedness that would astound you if could you but see it. And you have many, many friends on the inner planes, friends that are drawn to you because of the beauty of your personalities and your great desire to serve. And these angelic beings wish only to lend you their love and their light and to back you up on the inner planes so that you never feel alone. This is their one hope, that they may enter into your life and help you to realize that which you wish to realize. The handiest and simplest way to work with your guidance is to enter into the silence each day. We often speak of entering into the silence and maintaining a silence of self as being a very important part of a spiritual battery of resources that are helpful to the seeker. And in speaking of that which enables one to use the food of catalyst well, we would be remiss if we did not mention both the passive and active kinds of meditation. All right, let's let's pause there. Anything you want to remark on, Nathan? Um, I'm just going to make a confession <laughs> that, uh, so, you know, I've talked about the importance of, of, of daily meditation, but honestly, in, in the past like month, uh, it's been cut down to just like maybe yeah. every other day or even, you know, just three times a week. And it was honestly a way of, to avoid, um, processing a catalyst yeah. I was experiencing. Um, and so I, I have um, found that too. I have found that <laughs> I avoid meditation at the very times that I need it. It's really crazy. Yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting. It's um, so that would be that. That's one of my. That's one thing I wanted to bring up. Another thing I want to bring up is that, um, at least in my experience, you always do have help available. Um, but there's two other important important concepts related to requesting aid that I think, uh, at least, is true for me that I want to mention. One, the level of aid, um, and the ease at which you can access that aid seems to directly turn on how big a life lesson it is for you. If it's a huge, like, pre-selected, pre-incarnation life lesson, the aid that you get is more like cheerling, cheerling, they'll, they'll cheer you on, but they want you to figure it out on your own because it's one of your major life lessons. If it's a lesser lesson um, that, you know, isn't, like, doesn't involve past lifetimes or a huge amount of karma, you can just often directly ask, um, for the direct answer and the solution was what I found, and you'll get you'll get it. That's at least true in my experience. Um, I guess just because, and and it brings me to a second point that when I ask for aid, um, and this is kind of related to prayer, I found that it's most effective if you word your request for aid in the most broad way possible. And once again, it goes to that concept of aligning your will with the Creator's will. So instead of asking for, uh, let's say you're having um, some sort of a weird pain. You've been to the doctor. There's no reason for it. They say it's psychosomatic. Um, you could ask. So praying for direct aid would be saying, you know, creator, I ask uh, for you to heal me so that I no longer experience this pain, right? 
but maybe a way to ask indirectly so that you can be empowered uh, and perhaps to be in more alignment with the creator's will is to be like, creator, I ask for the wisdom and understanding um, uh, so that I can heal um, this pain on my own, right? It's, 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 I think there's almost, a, it's, it's related to free will, but there seems to be some sort of impetus that we figure this, that we empower ourselves through our learning process as opposed to asking some external entity or creator to do it because we are the creator, right? So I think that's an important decision. Yeah, that no, I, I agree with you. There's a skill to opening up to help and not being picky, yeah. but instead recognizing that we will get what we need. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, let's see. And I just think it's important to recognize that we often feel alone. I think it's good to remember that we can lean on others in our life and we can always lean on others in the, in the, in the, uh, inner planes, that there's a lot of help. We aren't, and, and not just that, and not just that we're not alone, but that we're not the first person to have gone through whatever we're going through. Like other people have dealt right. with it before it. We think that our pains and our fears and our biases and all this isolate us and make us different from everybody else. But they're actually the thing that make us, most human, and therefore they're the thing that connects us to everybody else's path and every all the other things that everybody else is dealing with. I have found that the more that I reach out, the more that my pain unites me with other people when I allow it to, when I allow it to to be a, a means of connecting. These 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 things that happen in our life, how we act, how we react to them, the attitude that we take, I think that's a lot of what Kuo has been saying here. Like that affects whether it gives you indigestion or it's properly digested. And so ultimately the skills that we're looking for are the skills that allow us to approach the material of life with an attitude that reflects our best understanding of ourselves and the creator. It is in meditation that we will uh, get in touch with that part of ourself that we think is highest and best. And so if you don't have anything else to say on this passage, I think we'll take it to the end here. Yeah, just that, uh, it, you know, if sharing from an open heart, kind of um, your own distortions and experiences, it does, and your own uh, trials and tribulations in life, they do bring you closer together. And um, one thing I've only realized recently, because I think it's interesting that the better you get at understanding your own catalyst and, and recognizing it and your own distortion, it helps you get better at um, noticing that yep. in others. Right. Obviously, there's going to be a layer of obfuscation and yep. inaccuracy. But what I've noticed is that people who I used to think were very, very different from me or different from like comparing two different people on the outside, very different from each other. They can actually be very, very similar. People respond and process catalysts, especially people who aren't on a spiritual path or at least aren't on a consciously spiritual path. They respond to catalysts very, very differently. You can have two people with nearly the exact same orange ray distortion of lack of self-love and they will have on the outside completely different personalities one person will be depressed sullen soft-spoken shoulders slumped and the other one will be like you know chest puffed out really loud boisterous and uh, you know but very easily you know um doesn't like to be disrespected and then you you really realize at the core they both have the same energetic distortions so it's it's very fascinating the deeper you go in, in how common 
people are in their in what they in what they have uh, and the trials that they have, but how yet different it presents itself on the out. Uh, yeah, that's why I think they put a point on saying that don't focus on behavior, right? Behavior can right. be a way of dealing with lots of different things, but when we get down to the causes of the behavior, they tend to be the same kinds of causes as other behavior, and they unite us. And I think that uh, one way to work with that is to cultivate a sense of vulnerability, cultivate being vulnerable with other people, that openness, that willingness to, to fully admit to your humanity is what allows other people the safety and, and the space to do that themselves. They, a lot of people, I don't think very often, let themselves just be human. They hold themselves to some weird standard that society or TV or whatever uh, impelled them to. And if they ever admit that they don't really get it right much, uh, it feels like an admission of failure. So sharing our failures with each other, sharing uh, those low points helps us make good use of them and it brings us together because there is nothing worse than suffering alone. There's just nothing at all worse in my mind. All right, home stretch, And this is where uh, Nathan can take some uh, scolding from Quill. <laughs> I mean, I do too. I, 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 I struggle with meditation too. Huo says, in the passive meditation, it is enough simply to enter into the silence and allow the self to drift away, whether you simply follow your breathing or have another means of achieving the silence within. Indeed, whether you sit or walk or even run to meditate, it is all one. The essence of it is to enter the silence, for within the silence is that great original thought of love, which can become your consciousness if you can get your small self out of the way. Then there is the active kind of meditation where you are musing and contemplating your day. And in those times, it is helpful to work with those things that triggered you today, experiencing them in memory, allowing their opposites to come into your consciousness and allowing that opposite dynamic to take over your consciousness. Then as you finish, hold those two opposites side by side in your mind and affirm the 360 degree nature of of your nature and of the creator. The creator is all things and you contain all things as well. As you become more and more known to yourself, all of these ways of achieving good digestion and a happy energy body become ever more smooth and easy, even effortless to accomplish. So many things, my friends, are a matter of habit. Create the habits of contemplation and meditation, of lightheartedness, thoughtfulness, and balance. and You shall have a very good meal Hundred percent agree. I mean, um, I, I have a daily practice of contemplation, but I I think it's very important to also have a daily practice of actual passive meditation, and that's what for me is um, fallen by the wayside a little bit. But uh, as in the past week, though, it's gotten back back to normal. Um, but it's it's so important. It's just so important. I, I, the way I I kind of characterize meditation in how it helps in passive meditation in how it helps me is it's it's almost like a, it's as if you've slept on it for a few days. It's that access to the one infinite creator in that meditation. It, it provides stuff that you can't put into words. And it's very, very useful to re-energize and, and recharge. That Absolutely. Way. The thing that I want to say is uh, I think it's very apt to say that you need two types of meditation. I've noted this, noticed this too. There, there are definitely meditations that I feel that I've benefited from where my mind is not 
still. Right. And there's also meditations where my mind is completely still. And I feel like I benefited from it. And lately having done this for so long, what I, what I have really, what I find myself doing is that my meditations start out active and it's kind of like, um, I just let my mind work through all this stuff. Once I let it work through, I find that it's then much easier to get to that still space because I've given myself a chance to kind of like scream. You know, I've given myself a chance to like work out all the active energy, let it do what it's going to do. And like you, I, what I find, what I find is that like, as this process of chewing on things, uh, specific situations in my head, uh, continues, I see my standpoint getting more and more distance from that thought process. And I'm starting to observe myself doing this stuff rather than doing it. I mean, it's the same thing, but it's a difference in perspective. And then it's almost like the, 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 um, the processing and the thinking and the working through it uh, fades into the distance. And I'm just left with the ability to be silent and appreciate that without having to fight it. Because fighting a busy mind sucks and it's not, it's not a good way to approach it, in my opinion. You're better to just let your mind be be busy when it wants to be busy. Let it be still when it wants to be still. I agree. I mean, I think most of my passive meditations start out with, you know, a, a bit of just observing the mind. Um, and, you know, there, I'm sure you can have a whole session on meditative techniques. But in general, I think it's important not to judge your meditation. Right. right? So just uh, even bad just, meditations do the work. Yeah. Exactly. You have to have, and like, that's a, that's, that's something where faith really does come in because it doesn't feel like it. When you have a bad meditation, it feels like you failed. You didn't fail any more than like, because you struggled on the weights at the gym that day. You probably did more work there than you do in the easy days of the gym. You know, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, they talk about habits. And I think that we need to recognize that the skills that we're talking about get, uh, they get augmented and they become easier to implement with practice. And that we're, what we're doing is we're laying down new grooves that will make it easier to do the things we want to do and harder to do the things we don't want to do. That's part of like, I think having a body, having a physical body that has these pathways, our brain works with like neural pathways. And as we think more, the thoughts, those pathways get reinforced as we do more things, it reinforces the ease of doing those things. So when we're working against the grain and trying to do different stuff, we need to have patience because we have to understand that we're building habits so that this doesn't have to be so hard to execute on these skills in future times. We're building, we're sort of investing in ourselves, right? Agreed. And uh, pretty much uh, with that agreement, uh, we have ended the message from Quo. There's some question and answer, but they don't really, they don't really deal with this topic. So I think we're going to leave it there. This is probably the longest, uh, inaudible podcast, uh, episode ever recorded. Um, cause Ryan never has this, ne- Ryan never has this much time. Um, but I think we can just leave it there unless there was any uh, closing thoughts that you had, Nathan. No, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I, I, Jeremy, you, you and I have talked about this before, but you know, and Ra talks about this, right? To teach is to learn, and learn to learn is to teach. But I learned so so much just by having these podcasts. You know, just in the process of making these, I I feel like I become wiser. So I just I want to just express gratitude and 
thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of this experience, Ben. Absolutely. I, I learn a lot too. And it's good to have uh, different people on to bounce ideas off of and to see what they uh, fixate on. Like, like your listing of all of the different skills, that's something I would never have thought to do. And this is really good. It, it, it does exactly what I want, which is to show people the breadth of resources and um, approaches that are available to them so that people can feel creative and new and, and, and they can put them, they can put their shoulder into their spiritual evolution and not just feel like it's something happening on them. It's happening to them. It's, 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 it's weird. We're in third density. We're in this place where we're starting to take hold of our spiritual evolution. We're not just evolution suddenly becomes not something that's acting upon us, but we participate in it. And so yeah. this is very, this is very new for everyone. And so uh, we can all be each other's friends and confidants as this moves forward. And that's what I consider you. Thanks, man. I, yeah. Same, same all right. Way. Well, thanks, listeners, for continuing to uh, be our friends and confidants. If you have any questions, concerns, ideas, you know how to reach us. Inaudible.show is the website, and the contact form is right on there. Uh, in the meantime, stay in the love and light.